Welcome to the JD Power Travel Podcast. I'm Michael Vermillion with JD Power, and with me today are Mike Taylor, who leads our travel practice, and Hello. Jenny Corwin, who's our lead analyst for travel. So, Mike and Jenny, welcome. Yeah. Hi. Good afternoon. So, uh, we, so in the podcast, we typically cover uh, airlines and hotels and rental cars and airports, and now we're we're talking about the digital aspect of travel as well. Uh, so let's kick it off with the uh, the airlines, Mike. Uh, so in a recent interview, um, uh, JetBlue announced, uh, I guess it was a, not a very well-kept secret, uh, that they're going to be uh, initiating flights uh, to Europe. Uh, so is that a uh, is is that something that we were uh, expecting? And and who's who's uh, JetBlue going to be competing with here? And and how is that going to impact the um, the airline uh, travel experience? Well, it's the next logical step for a successful domestic airline is to go into those international markets where actually they can make a larger profit, which is where they, you know, the traditional uh, airlines such as Delta, American, United um, make a, a good hunk of their profit off of those uh, particular routes. They're longer haul, they're higher ticket prices, um, you know, they have people in the air a little bit longer so they don't you know, have as much labor cost per seat mile. So it's completely... Uh, logical for JetBlue to get into this game. Uh, the odd thing about this is they don't even know where they're going yet. They just know they're going to Europe. Uh, and of course, that's cause, causing somewhat of a political stir as to which airport they're going to be landing at. And of course, the most popular one is um, Heathrow. It's the most convenient to the city. Um, has the highest uh, profile with business travelers, which is based on JetBlue's Mint product, which is their um, higher end seat. Uh, in the aircraft, that's what they're trying to fill up and sell as they go to uh, uh, to Europe. Um, Heathrow is notorious for playing an awful lot of games. Uh, Continental Airlines paid $200 million several years ago when they were in business uh, for some slots at Heathrow, and JetBlue is signaling that they don't want to pay a nickel uh, for a slot. Uh, they expect to be given one as they're a major competitor. So, you know, how the European market reacts to that. The other interesting thing I thought was, uh, that if they could possibly do it, London City, that small airport that's really close to d- downtown, would be a major coup for them if they could land there. The problem is that the uh, Airbus uh, 321neos, I think, is what they're planning to fly. That's the one with a, a decent range from the East Coast into into London. Um, uh, it doesn't. Have, the runway is not big enough. I don't think the approach space is also quite adequate at London City. But if they could find a way to get into that. Oh boy, that would that would be something for JetBlue, and that would really shake it up. But as JetBlue enters this market, it's you know we were expecting all the other airlines to retaliate and have a fair war. So it might be beneficial for the consumer in the short term, uh, as London as uh, JetBlue uh, ramps up its London service. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, Jenny, on the hotel front, uh, Equinox, which is a uh, uh, health club um, that actually I, I belong to. Uh, has uh, announced something called Equinox Hotels, and that's uh, the first one's going to be opening in uh, Hudson Yards in New York in June, and then there it looks like they have other plans for uh, other cities in, in the U.S. Uh, so this is a uh, essentially a lifestyle brand uh, that's moving into the hotel space. Uh, the way they describe it is uh, the brand is um, for those who want to rest and play as hard as they train and work. So. So I, got, I guess a couple of questions here. So, so one would be, um, what's um, uh, what's 
what's been the experience of lifestyle brands who have moved into the hotel space? That have they do they work not work? I think maybe Virgin uh, would be a, a potential example here. And then second, uh, what kind of clientele are they going to attract, and, and where are they coming from? So who are they going to be getting um, their market share from? Yeah, so I, I think this is a really interesting thing to see someone coming from the health and wellness space into the hospitality space, especially given um, health and wellness is a huge focus in the industry. It's one of the hot topics in the past three years. Lifestyle brands have been a huge focus. Just about all of the major flags have their own lifestyle brands, some of them more focused on wellness than others. Um, but back to your first question regarding, uh, you know, Virgin, there's been quite a few. We've seen hotels brands born of other industries. Um, you know, for example, Virgin Hotels is coming out of more of a lifestyle brand there, but most recognized for their, their airline as of late in our industry. Um, but even brands like Nobu Hotels coming from the restaurant industry, right? So they've been relatively successful thus far. They are growing. Um, Equinox is a bit more unique in that it's coming directly from the fitness industry. So I think that's going to be different to see how that interacts, especially as a lot of hotels are really picking up their focus on health and wellness. And there's, like I said, specific brands focused on wellness. Uh, so, so I see, you know, this is going to come into competition with, with Hyatt, Weston, even hotels. And then there's always individual properties within the, within certain chains that are very focused on wellness. Some of their resort properties, the focus is, is heavy on, uh, restoration and wellness, especially within uh, a lot of the luxury space. So, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be an interesting thing to see how it affects the market and where they get their market share from. I, I certainly think there's plenty of, of customers out there right now for this kind of brand, uh, as you can, as evidenced by the major brands really investing in, in a brand similar to this in their portfolio. Maybe not quite similar, but yeah, same focus anyway. Okay, thanks, Jenny. Uh, Mike, on the um, the rental car side, uh, Enterprise Holdings, which is the parent company for Alamo Enterprise and National, uh, recently announced, I think it was even this a couple of days ago, a new vehicle subscription service. And this is something where you would subscribe to a vehicle on a monthly basis. It looks like uh, you'll have six different vehicle classes to choose from, everything from full-size and premium sedans to SUVs to even small and medium-sized trucks. Uh, you'll be able to swap out vehicles up to four times per month. And um, uh, it looks uh, it looks pretty interesting. So what's so what's happening here? Is is this uh, is this kind of a new category now for the rental car market? Uh, where where are these uh, subscribers going to come from, and and uh, how's this going to impact the rental car industry in general? Yeah, well, as this is obviously aimed at millennials, who you know, as in our rental car study um, that we've noticed this in the same data, that uh, millennials tend a, not to have as many cars or a car at all uh, that they particularly own. They also tend to rent higher-end vehicles where uh, Enterprise and every other rental car company that uh, rents to millennials makes a higher margin on. So this is obviously a play for those types of those millennials who are want, wanting this type of uh, flexibility and to have access to cars. And the, the key thing here is that Enterprise has – 5,800 locations or more across, you know, in in the world. So uh, in the United States, it's almost 100 uh, locations per state. So they'll be close to every millennial 
uh, no matter where they are, at least in the United States. Um, and so, again, this is just going to just appeal to this, this particular segment, segment of the market that has a different kind of attitude towards vehicles that older Americans uh, have, which is, you know, I have to own a car. Well, millennials don't feel like they have to own a car, but when they do rent one, they tend to rent the higher end and the more uh, higher margin uh, class of vehicles. So this is a play for that. Okay, thanks, Mike. Uh, turning to airport, uh, and so in the news this week, uh, the Cleveland uh, Hopkins uh, Airport has been has been in the news because the information boards, you know, those boards that you look at to figure out what gate to go to or where to, where to go to pick up your bags, uh, those boards are out at the um, at the Cleveland Airport, and they've actually been out since Monday. And uh, no one's saying for sure, but but they did. They, the city of Cleveland did acknowledge that the FBI has been contacted about potential um, hacking into their computer system. So, uh, so Mike, I guess the question is, um, wh- what do we know about these information boards at the airports? Uh, is security a, a concern? Uh, the fact that the, the boards have now been out for they're going into the fifth day now at Cleveland's uh, airport does that have a big impact on uh, on travelers? Well, it has less of an impact than it did a few years ago because you have, now people have cell phones. Ninety-five percent of people in the airport have a cell phone, so they'll be able to look up the gate uh, directly from their app or directly from the web um, pages of the airline that they're on. So it's not as critical as it used to be. And it, it, by the way, if you want to impress the um, uh, the staff at any airport, you refer to them as FIDs and BIDs. Uh, flight information display system, baggage information display system. That's a common term. So if you want to sound like you know what you're talking about, just drop that, uh, uh, those acronyms on them. Um, but uh, what the problem here is, is that every airport customizes their own bids and fids system. So they get a common feed from the airlines and from the official airline guide, or OAG, as it's known now. And those are updated, you know, every second of every day, um, and they customize them uh, for their own look and feel. And so if someone has hacked the system, it might be that you're just hacking the Cleveland part of the system. But probably the reason why the FBI is involved, and it's, again, just speculation on my part, and the reason why it's been down for five days is because you don't want that hack to go any farther into the system. Because then they would, if you could hack into the OAG and the airline system, then you could cause worldwide problems. And uh, that would be a bigger problem to solve than just Cleveland Airport. Okay, thanks, Mike. So, so, so Mike and Jenny, uh, final topic, uh, turning to the digital side of the uh, travel industry and, and apps in particular. Uh, J.D. Power, at the end of last month, uh, released the inaugural uh, travel app satisfaction study uh, with um, ranking uh, several brands across four categories. Uh, airline, hotel, OTAs, and rental car apps. And it looks like we have uh, JetBlue as uh, ranking highest for airlines, World of Hyatt, highest in customer satisfaction for hotel apps, Orbitz for OTAs, and then National for um, overall customer satisfaction for rental cars. So, um, Jenny, what were kind of the the headlines coming out of this study? in terms of uh, insights, and then maybe, Mike, we can turn it over to you to, to see if there were anything that, that was kind of surprising coming out of uh, coming out of the study. Great. Yeah, The I think the big headlines are that 
Apps are doing okay. Travel apps are, they score pretty well, um, you know, mid 800s, which is an eight out of 10 in terms of customer satisfaction. Um, but, but there are other industries that have better apps, right? And I think one of the, the big findings on our side was it's not enough to just be easy to use. The app has to be very easy to use. That was one of our key performance indicators. And, and while it seems like a slight differentiation between easy and very easy, when you really think of the fact that most users are evaluating an app in the context of all of their other app experiences. They're not just comparing a travel app experience to a, another travel app. They're, they're comparing it to some of those best-in-class apps in financial services and banking and, um, and, and, and Amazon and, and some of the retail apps, right? So those apps um, have done a good job at being very easy to use, and so there is this consumer expectation that, that all apps should be that easy. Okay, thanks, Jenny. Mike, what were your thoughts coming out of the study? Is there any, anything that was kind of surprising um, that, that we learned? Well, I wouldn't say the, the there are two things that struck me. And the first one I don't think is so surprising, but the the real weight on that day of travel, uh, especially for the airline apps, is very critical. If they can handle that uh, part of the app, they got high rating. Uh, obviously, it's because you know the passenger is again, as I've probably said twenty times on these podcasts. Uh, when you're catching an airline flight, that's one of the few deadlines, you know, hard deadlines you have uh, in your life, let alone in the travel experience. So getting that information, having it logical, organized, easy to access, and extraordinarily understandable and also timely was critical um, to especially airline apps and uh, apps for uh, rental cars. Uh, the thing that I think was surprising, the surprising thing to me was uh, the behavior of people around the OTA apps and how they needed to be reassured that what they were buying, if they were purchasing a hotel room or renting a hotel room, uh, that they really needed to see a picture of that hotel room or the picture of the property itself to reassure themselves that they're really buying something actual physical. When they weren't doing it directly with the uh, hotel uh, app or hotel website, uh, the fact that they could look at it and say, okay, yeah, that's what I'm expecting. This is what I'm buying. Uh, that was a critical factor in satisfaction with, uh, with OTA apps. Okay, thanks, Mike. So, so Mike and Jenny, uh, thanks for joining us today for this month's uh, travel JD Power Travel podcast, and thanks to our listeners for joining as well. To learn more about the JD Power Travel practice, please visit us on the web at jdpower.com/business, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.